just think, last week we were at Bible school, and it's all gone by in a hurry. Uh, life's like that. It just flows right on by no matter what you do, whether you're having fun or dreading what's coming. It just flows right on by. Tonight we're going to look at a passage from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 27. I'm going to read that passage to you. And then I want to focus on two phrases from a couple of those verses. The writer of Hebrews said, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. The expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. In verse 27, there are two phrases there. The first is those things that can be shaken. And the second phrase is those things which cannot be shaken. And so I want to make some general observations tonight uh, on this passage of scripture. The first is anytime we disobey God, disaster is just around a corner and a shaking is going to take place somewhere in our lives. So I would ask you, has there been a shaking in your life? A time in your life when everything just seemed to fall apart. Your whole world was rattled and everything that you thought was stable suddenly came crashing down. That's essentially what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. There are things that can be shaken in our lives, in all of our lives, and they often are. A time of shaking can come as a divine appointment. It might be sent from heaven to get your attention. I know we don't like to think about that, but sometimes God sends a shaking into our lives to call us back to him. Or in the case of Job, a time of shaking may come into our lives for reasons that we don't understand. He allows it for now so that later he might overrule it for his glory. Let me give you an illustration of that. I think specifically of the death of a little girl in the New Testament. The father, whose name was Jairus, was a synagogue leader. Uh, that means, obviously, that he was a man of deep faith, and when his little girl was sick, he reached out to Jesus. He went to Jesus, and he said, Look, I, I need you to come to my house because my little daughter uh, is at the point of death. And the Greek phrase there means literally that she was in her last gasps. We've been talking about the last breath on your last day. That's where she was. The father knew that she was dying, and so he went to Jesus. And, and you know that Jesus always knew the facts in advance, did he not? When he visited the woman at the well, he knew how many husbands that she had. He knew the man that she was living with now was not her husband. So when Jairus came to Jesus, Jesus was not surprised. There were no details about that story that he didn't know. 
he already knew the condition of the daughter. And here was Jesus, who on occasion had healed from a distance with a word, and could have, with a word, healed this man's daughter from a distance. But instead, while he was still talking with Jesus, some people came to his house and said to him, Trouble not the master any further, your daughter has died. Now the Bible says that Jesus overheard the word that was spoken. But understanding, as you know, Jesus, that was my phone that was ringing, probably one of my grandchildren, one of my daughters calling me during church. <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus overheard not the news at this point, but he overheard the breaking of a father's heart. He, over, he overheard this shaking that was taking place in his life. And so uh, he, he allowed it for the moment. He allowed it. And one of the good things we know about Jesus is not only did he overhear the word that was spoken, but he went to the home of Jairus and he overruled the situation. He raised a little girl from the dead. So I use that in the case of Job or in the case of Jairus or in your case, for instance, sometimes the Lord allows a shaking to come into our life. He allows it for the moment so that he might overrule it later for his glory. So times of shaking remind us that nothing here, nothing in this life is unshakable. We watch the news on the economy and in recent months and we've all had that shudder go down our spine when we thought about the fact that the banks can fail, the stock market can crash, a clot can stop your heart in an instant, an accident, a tragedy, an unexpected loss, and your life and your world that was once so completely stable falls completely apart. Nothing in this life is permanent, nothing is sure, nothing is unshakable. That's why we read in Hebrews 11:10 about Abraham and what Abraham was on a journey looking for. The Bible says, let me just read verses 8 through 10. The Bible says there in Hebrews that by faith Abraham when he was called went obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder was God. He was looking for something permanent. He was looking for something stable. He was looking for something unshakable. All of us are looking for that. I think most of us look for that throughout our lives. We hope that we will get to that moment when nothing will change, that moment of absolute stability. Uh, and, you know, I, you've heard me say before, I thought that that would, that would happen in life. I thought I would, I would get to a plateau and everything would remain the same and there'd be no problems and no difficulties and I'd have everything all worked out. But that's not the way it works, is it? That's not life as we know it. So things can be shaken. What can be shaken? Anything created anything under the sun, anything in the heavens. As a matter of fact, the picture on the screen comes courtesy of the James Webb Telescope. It is a, a picture of an exploding star. Don't worry. It's 11,000 light years 
from earth, but it's a star that explodes it. And so I use it as a background image to illustrate the bodies in the heavens. The universe itself is as unstable as our lives on earth. All these people are fretting about climate change when, look, the sun could explode as soon as the earth could, and the earth could burn up. And the Bible tells us the earth and its elements are going to melt anyway. There's a future end to everything that we know because nothing is stable. The foundations of all that you thought were permanent and secure can end in an instance. So let me give you another illustration. In 1980, I remember looking at the National Geographic magazine of the, the community in Soviet Armenia that was flattened by an earthquake. In four minutes, 30,000 people died. And in the midst of all the confusion, a father was said to have rushed to the school where his child was. He had dropped his child off that morning and, and he, he remembered the promise. He said, look, no matter what, I'll always be there for you. But in that moment, his whole world had crumbled. And so he rushed to the school where the, the school, where, where it had been, where his boy was in school. And it was just flattened like a pancake. And people, he just stood there in shock with everybody else. And then as he came to his senses, he started to dig. And people uh, pulled him off and said, stop. Even the rescue worker said, please don't stop. He said, no, I'm going to find my boy. And he dug with his hands. He dug and he dug and he dug and he dug for hours. And he dug beyond 24 hours. And finally, in one of those long hours later, to near the point of exhaustion, he moved a rock. And when he did, he heard the voice of his son, Daddy, Daddy, I knew you'd come. I told the other children here. And there were other children there with him. And one of those spaces is, can only be by the providence of God where people's lives are saved in a tragedy like that. But his whole world shaken. But because of a father's promise and a son's faith in a father's promise, things turned out different than they might have. All we have, in this world, in this world that's so fragile, is the promises of God that he will be faithful, that he is the only one who is unshakable and his promises are unshakable. So no father can always be there but one, and that's our God and his faithfulness, which is unshakable. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 28 and 29 therefore since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire now if you've ever watched time slip through your fingers and as you know it does if you've ever lost a fortune or lost your future if you've experienced a shaking in your life, then you know how essential it is to stand on these unshakable promises from God. The writer of Hebrews counts this promise as a reason for thanksgiving, uh, and here's why the first reason he counts it as a reason for thanksgiving is that our lives that can be shaken are in the hands of and under the control of our Father and His kingdom, which is unshakable. Some of you may remember 
Corey Ten Boom. Many of you younger people don't even know who that is, but she was in a prison camp in the Ravensbrook prison camp during World War II with her sister Betsy. And it was one of the worst prison camps uh, in, in Germany. And upon entering the barracks, they found them extremely overcrowded and flea infested. Uh, their scripture reading that morning from 1 Thessalonians reminded them to constantly rejoice and pray and give thanks to God in all circumstances. Betsy, Corey's sister, said, I flatly refuse to give thanks for these fleas. Uh, it was, I'm sorry, it was Corey, Corey Ten Boom, who at first flatly refused to give thanks for the fleas. But Betsy persisted and she said, no, God has told us to give thanks in every circumstance. And it was several months later that they realized that the guards who were so mean, so cruel, never came to their barracks during the, the, the first months that they were there. And they did not come to their barracks because they didn't want to come there because of the fleas. So somehow, even in our times of shaking, God has a way of proving to us that his faithfulness is unshakable. The writer of Hebrews says that we, for that, we ought to be grateful. Second, our Father's unshakable kingdom and his unshakable faithfulness is a reason for worship. He said, our God is a consuming fire. There ought to be a humility and a, and a, and a reverence and an awe when we come into God's presence. In uh, the fall of 2007, I was a part of a cohort of 15 men who visited two churches in San Francisco. We were in a program together, the 15 of us, and our assignment was to visit uh, two churches. Their worship services were both contemporary, and so the first one was a little more contemporary than I liked. I found it uh, hard to identify that I was in the church. The worship was okay in some ways, but in other ways it was sort of vague. Uh, the special music that, that Sunday was for all practical purposes. The only thing I could say about it, it was secular. Uh, you could have sung it uh, at a Garth Brooks concert with Bud Light, uh, and it, you would have not known. It, it was just, it was not recognizable as church music. The pastor's message was okay, but uh, in an after-service interview, his answers to our questions were as vague uh, as, the, as the service he led. He just didn't want to, we, 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 he, he didn't allow us to pin him down on anything. And so we were all preachers. Uh, one, well, we had a, a couple of college guys. They were uh, campus ministry leaders, one uh, out of Texas, one at the Naval Academy and uh, uh, wherever that is. I forgot where it is. We had some guys from a guy from China, a guy from Korea, different guys were there. We were all there together, and, uh, and that was our assignment. On the other hand, the second church was also contemporary. It was the First Baptist Church of San Francisco. It was directly across the street from the gay, lesbian, transgender community center. So if you can imagine your church being across the street from something like that. You know what San Francisco's like now, you see that on the news. But even then, this church was a light set in the midst of darkness. I don't think any of us realized how brightly 
their light shined in that city until the pastor stood up. He was seated in a chair all the way on one side of the platform, sort of off by himself. Uh, and uh, when he got up to speak, uh, we, were, we were standing up singing a worship song about God being a consuming fire. And when he got up to speak, we noticed that he walked with a limp. We didn't know why. But as he walked across the limp up to the, uh, walked across the platform with that limp up to the pulpit, for some reason, and I was sitting way back in the back, I was overcome with emotion, and I just started to cry. The guy sitting beside me was a Korean brother, and he looked at me, and he started to cry, and he said, would you please pray for me? So we wept there together on the back row. Uh, and the service lasted uh, much longer than our services do, but it was obviously marked by the presence of the Spirit and passionate worship. And when the service was over, we interviewed that pastor. His name was Phil Busby. And before the interview was over, in one of the back rooms of his church, all 15 men were in tears, and so was he. The difference between the two churches was like night and day. One of them offered, it, offered God acceptable worship with reverence and all. They were not afraid to preach the truth about God in a culture that was antagonistic to that message. The other church was watered down, and neither it nor its pastor bore any marks of contact with the power of God. As a matter of fact, the other pastor walked into the room like he was God's gift to humanity. Phil came in obviously broken. Later, we understood that Phil was a severe diabetic, and he was struggling to keep his leg. He knew what it was to be shaken. He also knew who it was that was unshakable. Phil Busby died a few years later from complications with diabetes, and, and so that you might know how God used that man, let me read you a story of what happened when he approached the director of the Gay, Lesbian, and Transgender Center. Now, this was years ago. This was prior to our visit with him. He walked across the street, asked to meet with the director, told the director, he said, look, I realize we see the world in two different ways. I realize that we don't agree and we probably won't ever agree, but I would like the opportunity to pray for you. And he prayed for the director of that center. And when he finished praying, the man was in tears. And he said, I have never had anyone pray for me and pray over me in such a way that blessed my life so. And through Phil's ministry, while they were, he was at First Baptist Church San Francisco, they were able to see several individuals changed or saved from that lifestyle. In our interview before Phil died, I've told Brother Doug this before, he said that they seeded their choir with the kind of people they wanted to come to their church. In other words, in that choir was every race of person, every nationality. There were people in that church from all over the world, and one of them was sitting in the choir. There were about 50 people in the choir, and they all looked different. He said, when, we, when people walk into our church, we want them to be able to look at our choir and say, I, I can see myself in this church because I see myself up there in the choir. Uh, 
I don't know what First Baptist Church San Francisco is like today, but I know that when they had a pastor who knew what it was to have his world shaken, that they and their services were shaken by the unshakable. Now, finally, this is the final point I want to make, and I think you'll understand it better than all of them. All of us in this church have been through times of shaking in our lives. If you haven't, you will. But I wonder how many of us have been shaken by the unshakable, by a movement from God. Does our worship reflect that we have had contact with the consuming fire? When we come into this place, do we come into it with reverence and awe uh, in light of the holiness of God and the power of God? I have to ask myself, who in this church weeps when the pastor begins the journey to the pulpit? I can't tell you what that was like. Not, I didn't know the man, had never met the man, had never heard the man preach, didn't really even know the man's name. But when he stood up and he dragged that leg across that platform, I was broken. There was something different about that service. The only hope that we have in church is that if there is a God who is bigger than us and stronger than us, who's holding things together for us because we won't hold it together on our own. And you already know that to be true because you've tried to hold it together in your life. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire, and he is unshakable. Let's pray.